You just interrupted me. I was ready to do the intro. I thought we discussed this, that you don't get to do the intros anymore. We did, but I thought one day you would be less sexist and racist and let me. Was that hopeful thinking? I don't know why you would think. That was beyond hopeful. That was unrealistic. Go ahead and be your racist, sexist self and start and lead everything and pretend that we're co-hosts. But really, you're the one bossing me around and I'm showing up to do you a favor. Are you are you doing me a solid? Because I feel like I have to carry you every episode just to make this show interesting. I wasn't listening. Go ahead. Should I, should I plug carry my you. headphones back in? Every episode. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Dive in Justice, the podcast that explores building ideal communities with their less than ideal selves. I'm Shandine Garcia. And I'm Delma Jackson. And today we are so excited to be concluding season two of the podcast. It's our last episode of the season. We've had some amazing guests who've had some amazing ideas. I've been an amazing host. Shandine has been here with me. And um, we are so ready to do this. Shandine, let's open up the way we so often do. Why don't you tell me uh, and the listeners, what's on your mind right now? How excited are you to be um, here with me yet again, the end of another season? You have to be so thankful. I, I want to jump off a fucking cliff. <laughs> oh, you wanted me to not be honest. Um, I'm so delighted to be on a call where you're patronizing pain in my ass oh, um, shit, too honest okay i'll try again take Let three see. take three what a gift it is to be here and spend precious time with you as we engage in what it is to create spaces for beloved communities to come together and grow and can you put some uh, flute music on Native American Black flute times. music in the back? Yeah, no, yeah. Native American flute music. Let's 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 pull in birds also singing, butterflies flapping wings. No. Did you say I thought chimes were indigenous? Yeah, I thought. I assume just that stop. was something. Just don't that even was don't don't even coast think. Coast. Don't even assume. Don't even I think. Figured. Just shut it down. Somebody just came. Shut it all the way down. And handed them out. No? Yeah. It's indigenous and we hand out chimes. That's why I've given you like five or six chimes over our tenure. You save them. I have them all intertwined with all my dream catchers. (laughs) I fucking hate you. Hate you to the core. How am I doing? I have just returned from a super fast trip to Atlanta where I saw my baby boy and am behind at work and scrambling to catch up. And I'm also getting ready to go see my other boy in London who's living the dream. So I'm good. I I just did... At work, we have this thing where new people come. We do this onboarding sessions with with folks. And what my part is, is to talk to them about our practice. 
because I'm mm. the practice lead for organizational strategy and innovation. And I keep, I keep still being surprised at how happy I am at my workplace, even though the work is hard, even though we have a client right now who is very difficult, even though um, the work sometimes can be intense. I still, you know, and I was telling, and I was saying this to the people who I was onboarding, I'm like, I keep waiting for the other shoe to drop. And, mm -hmm. and my org isn't perfect. MGI, SMG isn't perfect. We got some shit we need to fix. And I've said this on previous episodes and injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere, right? So like, if, if it's good for me, that's not good enough because it's probably not great for everybody. And so there's a level of responsibility I bear in working really hard to change, interrupt, and advocate for those for whom it isn't perfect. And I'm really happy in my workplace. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, as a follow-up to what you just shared, I'm wondering about any themes. I know you and your sons um have some pretty intentional conversations. You create a lot of intentional space together. And I'm wondering if there are any themes coming off of your visit. Um, to Atlanta that I have kind of swirled within you. Yeah, I think there are a couple themes and not just Atlanta, but also um, my older son. It's interesting to watch them try to make their way in the world and, f and mm -hmm. without, you know, being at home. And they navigate the world in mixed race bodies where people wrongly identify who they are. They're in these elite private institutions, um, wanting to affect change somehow and whatever, wherever they go. And my oldest is like, what the hell am I going to do with this degree when I leave? Where the hell am I going to work? I don't know that I want to go back to graduate school, right? My youngest is just a freshman trying to figure out where is my spot to in this world. And, and the theme is for me, I want to swoop in and body block all things that bring them pain and suffering, even mm -hmm. though I know that's wrong because they need to learn how to grow and cope and blah, blah, blah. The theme around, I, I, I often feel your, your job as a, a parent is that balance between solving and helping create the conditions for them to learn to solve. Mm -hmm. And the older mm -hmm. I get, the older they get, it's not mine to solve. And that's really hard. That's a shitty tendency I have anyway, as a person, not just as a parent. It's a, it's a habit I'm trying to break and actually just listen more instead of turn to solve. I actually don't like that about myself. Not in a, not in a terrible way. Like a, it's not from a place of horribleness. It's just a, it's just something I need to get better at. And it's even more so difficult to interrupt it when I just want to solve for my sons. And I also think, and they may disagree, they don't listen to my pod, to be honest. Um, <laughs> so I can talk shit all I want and they wouldn't even know, but their friends, I know some of their friends do. Um, it's, I think it's even more so difficult for them to actually know what they want from me when they're asking or they're angry or they're upset, not necessarily with me, because they're used to me solving stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I think sometimes they actually don't know the line of when they're, no, I just need you to hear me. 
or no, I need you to fucking solve this. I don't know that they know how to say that just yet. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. That makes sense. It's I appreciate you naming it. Yeah. It's bizarre to be a, to be a parent of two adults. Like it's as it's, uh, you know, I, my dad's dead. My mom died when I was too young to remember. I have like vague memories of her. So I got, I don't fucking have a lot to think about, like to map onto. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's mm. a good question. I appreciate the question. What about you? What's good with you? We've had really fast two weeks, you and I. Yeah. Yeah. Um, How's your heart? Yeah, I appreciate the question. How is my heart? That's a good question, to be honest with you. I have lived in my head and intentionally when I make time to get to the gym, I live in my body while I'm in the gym as much as possible. My head definitely tends to wander and pull me out. Um, but I've been living in my head so much lately, onboarding uh, from full-time at CWC into full-time at Met Group. So that process has been uh, just a whirlwind of information. And what it has brought up for me is a lot of imposter syndrome shit. You know, mm-hmm. um, I can't recall the last time I've asked myself this many times. Am I doing okay? Am I doing this right? Am I fucking up? What should I be doing instead? How can I best uh, show up for the people I care about, show up for you, you know, specifically in this work while simultaneously not forgetting to show up for myself Mm -hmm. um, and making sure I'm taking care of myself because if I don't, I won't be any good to to anybody. Um, I'm not used to feeling a lack of expertise in what I'm doing. I usually feel like I have a good handle on what's up. And I've gotten spoiled in that way, I guess. Um, and it makes my butthole itch, to be honest with you. It's, it's really frustrating um, to have to navigate that. And um, trying to find the right balance also between being strong and holding that. And not seeking validation all the fucking time. But also being willing to just name, hey, I could use some validation right now. Mm-hmm. And so my partner was just here for a week and it was beautiful having her here. But she also saw me coming into this new organization and she's watching me like lose what little bit of hair I have, you know, um, and she's trying to be really supportive. And all I'm feeling is guilt for putting her in a position to have to be so supportive. I want to be strong enough to just weather whatever the fuck is coming, you know, because I have a penis and that's what I'm supposed to do. And um, yeah, no, it doesn't work like that at all. Um, so here I am feeling both enticed and excited. The pace of work is crazy, but there's a part of me that perversely kind of likes that, you know? Um, but then also feeling like, 
am I cut out for this? Do I know what I'm doing? Am I actually good at this? What the fuck? You know, so it's it's been it's been all brain 24-7 for the last week and a half, two weeks. Um then the parenting piece. How am I showing up for my babies when I'm feeling pulled in so many different directions mentally? Been checking in with them, letting them know that I'm stressed, letting them know I'm holding a lot, letting them know I don't want to take it out on them, letting them know that I might. Um, <laughs> so just trying to be, if I can't do nothing about it, at least let me be honest and name it. How do they so. receive it? It's just like, oh, okay, that's what's up. You know, and then, um, you know, five minutes later, they, they've already forgotten and they look at me like I'm weird if I snap about something or whatever. And to be fair to myself, I, I don't think I have. I think I've, I think naming it with them has helped me a lot. For sure. For sure. To be honest with you. So I don't think I've been more over the top, at least than usual. Um, yeah. Things feel pretty good and copacetic. I have two questions. Answer them whatever order you want to answer them in. One is, what would it take to actually get back into your heart space to think about, to get a chance to think about what's in your heart? The other question is, do you know the the zone of proximal development or the, the zones of learning where learning is most likely to happen? That sounds like something you probably read. <laughs> I am a reader. There's a green zone, a yellow zone, and a red zone. And and it's like, you, it's like if you think about it in the context of your comfort. So if I were to ask you right now, um, green being totally easy, red being, I'd be, I mean, yellow being, I'd be a little nervous, but I could do it. Red being no fucking way. So if I were to say, what zone would you be in if I were to ask you to sing a Beyonce song um, right now in your house with no one at home? Would you be in the green, the yellow, or the red? Mm-hmm. No one's at home? No one's at home. Oh, green. Now, what if you were to sing it if your uh, partner were in another room doing dishes? And not top of your lungs, but you're just singing. Can I hum it? You can hum it. Green. Sing it. Yellow. What if you were to be on a call leading a... Red. This is what okay so <laughs> so you get the zones right yeah got it and the argument is that that yellow zone where you feel a little bit out of your comfort but not where you're feeling nervous and scared is that stretch zone and they mm-hmm. say that's the zone of proximal development like where you're most likely to grow and we don't mm-hmm. like being in that and that's hence the like be comfort like comfort would like be fine with discomfort or whatever, because that's what the learning happens. Mm-hmm. My question is, can you differentiate or extrapolate the, is it partially that in addition to other factors that are are bringing on the feelings of, am I fucking in over my head? Do I even know what the fuck that I'm doing? Like in all of the things. Or is it just a, no, I know when I'm uncomfortable and I'm learning something new and I'm like, then this, that, that isn't it. This is something, this is so much more. And I'm not quite sure what it is, but I'm just thinking it through. I would say the former. 
I would say the former. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I've expressed, you know, repeatedly, I think, <laughs> to my partner uh, throughout our time together recently is that um, I feel the stretch, you know? And I think what feels disconcerting when you're being stretched is you don't know where you're going to land or to use the metaphor of a rubber band, you don't know what shape you'll be in once that that tautness is released. You, you, you dig? Yeah. And so, yeah, it's, it's definitely stretching. There are aspects of this that come easy. There are aspects of this that do not. And there are aspects of this where I'm um, more confident than others that, you know, I'll get it. I just need time. I'm also aware that it's harder to know where I am when there's so much coming at me at once. So to get to your heart question, um, what would I need? I would need to designate time, preferably outdoors, preferably by water. This is where I tend to have the most meaningful insights. What's preventing you from what's preventing you from do that? Take fucking wellness days. Well, part of it is just the weather. You know, the weather in Michigan right now is not conducive for me to want to park next to some water and sit for a long time because it's too cold. I get cold easy. I'm not doing that. But I am looking forward to spring, actually springing. And that is part of my plan is to designate some time to do that once the weather is tolerable. You're not fucking imagining it. Mm -hmm. So like part of what I want to say in that like zone space is growth can be happening and there's so much fucking new shit. I felt like in over my head too. I didn't know that I was like, is this what like they asked me to do? I don't know what I'm doing. Am I doing right? What I'm supposed to be doing no matter how much our company puts into onboarding it's impossible for your brain to, to use your word, alchemize that shit at a reasonable rate. It is a physical impossibility. I thought my brain was going to explode. Take the fucking wellness days. Mm -hmm. Whether you can get near water or fucking not, they're yours. I think what I want is to um, give myself enough time to feel like I have a slightly better handle. And then I will. I think if I don't do that, I won't really take the time off. I'll just be off the clock worrying about shit. Mm. And I know that about me. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so I there do. are certain things I need to check, be able to check off the box. And then I can put it aside and not actually be thinking about it while I'm supposed to be relaxing. Yeah. So, yeah. But no, I appreciate the encouragement to do that. And I'll definitely... Um, figure out what is it that I need to feel specifically so I know when I've hit that mark. Cause otherwise that mark will always elude me. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um <clears throat> when we come back, Shandine and I will take time to explore some of the big picture questions that came up for us in season two. Um, whether it be from our guests and certain things they raised or from one another. So 
Thanks for sticking with us up to this point in the season. Thanks for sticking with us up to this point in the episode. We'll be right back. Thank you for giving Diving Justice a listen. We recognize that your time is the most valuable currency you have. If you're digging the pod, there are a couple of things you can do to show your support. First, head over to your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds of your time. And every review helps us grow our listenership and broadens the conversations we can have together. The second thing you can do and should do is consider supporting the podcast by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash dive underscore in underscore justice. Welcome back. I don't know how many of these topics we might even get to. I feel like when you only have an hour-long podcast, it's hard to to check all the boxes. But I wanted to start with something, if it's cool with you, Shandi, and I'm not married to this, but I wanted to start with something that was named quite some time ago. You've hinted at it a couple of times, but I don't know that we've ever actually dived into this conversation before, um, at least not on this pod. And it has to do with land acknowledgements. Um, I noticed several years ago that more and more spaces I was going into to have meetings and hold conversations. Um, folks were talking about the importance of land acknowledgements. Can I ask you to first, for anybody who's listening and is not familiar with the culture, do you mind describing what they are? Then... From there, I'm wondering if you want to talk about what feels right about it, what feels wrong about it, and anything else you want to say about it. But can you start with what a land acknowledgement actually is? Probably about six years ago now, I started hearing um, in meetings and in calls, folks naming the land that they were on that wasn't the actual name that they used. So instead of saying, I'm calling in from Eugene, Oregon, I am Shandine. I'm calling in on Kalapuya land, naming the indigenous land base that either is there, was there, um, was like land that was stolen. And so instead of using the actual um, uh, names that you see on maps, actually attributing your location to indigenous communities who lived there prior. And it was about, I want to say, and I could totally be wrong, but I want to say it started in um, Canada first, but I could totally be wrong. It's not like I have a landscape of all these movements across the nation, across the nations. Um, And the spirit of it was pretty beautiful. It was around countering erasure, countering people having no concept that their feet are on for the most part are on stolen land. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about indigenous communities who are calling in on a, you know, from their homeland, from the Confederate tribes of Grand Ron saying, I am like trying to be in right relationship with their own community and where they, where they are. I'm talking about for the most part, people who aren't indigenous and have no mm-hmm. knowledge of the fact of the history of the land that they're on. Mm-hmm. And it was, 
a call into them to say, oh, shit, I'm on a call and all these people are naming it. What land am I on? I should go look that shit up. I should. And it forced them in order to I don't care that it was performative, quite frankly, at the beginning. It forced them to go sit there and look and see, oh, am I on Potawatomi land? Oh, am I on Muskogee land? Oh, am I like, what is this? And what is this nation? How, how could I have never known that my entire life? How could I have never known that? And there's something beautiful around what it was calling to. But like many things in the context of wanting to be woke and uh, actually let's, 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 let's not be so cynical around it in the context of really wanting to do the right thing. It's become shallow and it stops there. It actually doesn't have people being in right relationship with the fact that most people who aren't indigenous are on stolen land, seeded land in this scenario. And so what you have, there are two things that I sort of wanted to talk about. And one is when, how do you bring depth to something that has all the integrity in its genesis when it's mm -hmm. become shallow? That's one. The second thing, and this is something my brother and I have been talking about, but are afraid to sort of bring it to the surface because we don't know who to talk to that much about it or how to bring it up or where to talk about it. We talk a lot, the, the nations talk a lot about reparations and return mm -hmm. of land mm -hmm. and getting your land back. There's a whole land back movement. Is that framed in a white sense of ownership mm -hmm. and landing own? Are we ascribing, prescribe, prescribing? I don't have the right word. Um, a value of ownership that we haven't examined while wanting to actually do right by the fact that this land was <laughs> indigenous land and that relationship with the land was not built on fences and um, not in the way that, that, that it was colonized for us, number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, there are a gazillion different nations, like not a gazillion, but over 500. We don't mm -hmm. all have same practices or relationships around how we engage with land and where we put our feet and where we lay our head at night and, and what the land provides in the context of kinship. And so these two things are inviting a deeper critical examination that I want us to dig into and I need to talk with more people about it. I was on a call of about a hundred social justice leaders, pretty phenomenal. And listening to everybody say their name, their pronouns, their land acknowledgement, and then move on. By the fifth one, I wanted to jump out of my seat because it felt so shallow. And I and these are people who aren't shallow. These mm -hmm. are people who who sacrifice their bodies to do right in places. Mm -hmm. 
but the performative nature of it rings shallow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that necessarily a function of time? And what I mean by that is, is it any more shallow than it was when it started? Or has it become shallow because it's become so ingrained into these spaces? It feels like the latter, but, and I'm just saying that from my experience, which is, mm-hmm. I'll say somewhat limited, but I would say at the time when it started becoming, when it was relatively new, I was working in probably six or seven different states across the country. Mm-hmm. And so, you wouldn't be in a situation where everybody was saying it. Four or five would say it and suddenly someone would either ask or they would secretly mm-hmm. chat me and they would go, I don't even know. And then they would like, they would go like really beautiful humans would go all the way to like going to the nation, figuring out how to pronounce the nation right, looking like really researching and learning stuff. And so it didn't know, it didn't feel. And, and I, I can't speak for what motivates humans but part of the way I feel about erasure is anything that brings visibility to us is value add. Mm-hmm. I don't, I just, how do you, how do you take something like that and actually have it continue to have depth? So here's a, here's a parallel example. In three workplaces that I, that I, that I've been in, since COVID, people are bringing in mindful moments. Mm-hmm. At the very beginning of it, it was actual time to to center ourselves in our heart, to anchor ourselves in our bodies, to be aware of all of this impact. Well, I'm seeing it all over the place and it's becoming icebreakers. <laughs> 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 These are not mindful moments, right? And so it's now... What's the distinction? All right, everyone check in. We're going to do a check in on what you had for breakfast this morning. Mm. It's very different than let's have a mindful moment. Let's actually Mm -hmm. sit. Let's ground ourselves. Let's do some breathing. It doesn't have to be that deep either. It could be like pause and look away from your screen and look outside and observe something for three minutes and then come back. Mm -hmm. That's very different than everyone putting in the chat or saying, my name is Shandi and I had oatmeal for breakfast. Mm-hmm. My name is Dalma and I had coffee for breakfast. My name is like, that's the distinction mm-hmm. is one mm-hmm. is in service toward a, a centering and an anchoring and, and, and body and, and your heart. The other is it's an icebreaker. Yeah. Agreed. But has it, have you actually been in a space where somebody presented that particular question? Like what did you eat for breakfast? And they called it a mindful moment. Yes. This is what I'm telling you that Shalom. the parallel of, <laughs> why, are you lying on, why are you lying on these people? Ain't nobody do that. I swear to God. <laughs> they were like, I, I don't have a mindful moment. Anybody? Anybody got something they want to say? Any icebreakers? Anybody? And I'm like, then just say this is an icebreaker, not a mindful moment. Yeah. 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 And again, no disrespect to the person, no disrespect to the like the agenda. Again, no disrespect to the person or the people who are trying to lead the whole genesis of land acknowledgements. 
I'm inviting into the conversation, how do you prevent it from being shallow, from going shallow, devolving into shallowness? Depth in this line of work has always been the enemy of time. How deep can we go with the amount of time that we have? Right. To give a land acknowledgement depth. Does that necessarily require more time or is there simply something we should constantly be tweaking as we go? You know, to keep it fresh, is it freshness that gives it depth? If I come on a call with a bunch of folks who've been doing this work. Do we skip over the land acknowledgement because we are we're all on the same page. We've all done our homework. We can all list off the spaces that. This is connected to in terms of unceded territory, like. I don't know the answer and I don't know if you know the answer. Because the alternative in my mind is we actually make the time to really talk about it and our relationship to it and what it means to us. And if we do that, what happens to the agenda? Does it need to be its own thing? Like, I I don't know. I'm just throwing out, (laughs) I'm just throwing out a bunch of shit, you know? I think people, even people who we know have done the work in the context of indigenous nations and indigenous lands and indigenous communities are still actually not fully confident and comfortable in saying the land that they're on. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes even when they say it, they feel twinges of guilt. Mm -hmm. And I think that does, that does serve a purpose with people who are trying to be in right relationship with something that they're struggling with. So I think saying, no, let's just stop. I don't think is the answer. Mm Mm-hmm. I think when you said like, how can we keep it fresh? I welcome all ideas around keeping it fresh. I've, I've mm-hmm. been on calls with other people where we try different things. Like instead of land acknowledgement, we're actually going to sit and take five minutes to write down what new commitment am I going to make or what new thing do I need to think about or what new and then a plan for what I'm going to do for, for me for this week to do that or whatever the thing is. I've seen things where someone says in lieu of a land acknowledgement, I'm going to share a resource with everybody and I want everyone to take five minutes and look at it. Mm-hmm. And this is all connected back to indigeneity yeah. as a broad term versus. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Yep. So, for example, um, I was tasked with, or it's your turn to bring a resource next time to, you know, as, as uh, in trying to solve land acknowledgements being shallow. And I said, all right. So I went. And the next time I checked in, I brought, there's a Native American Journalist Association. Association of Native American, NAJA, N-A-J-A, Native American Journalists Association or Journalism Association, I don't know, um, put a guide out on terminology that newspapers should be using and not be using. And mm-hmm. an, an example of it is people ask me, is indigenous lowercase I or uppercase I? And in that guide, it's when it's about people, it's an uppercase I. When it's around this flower is indigenous to this part of the state, mm-hmm. lowercase mm-hmm. I. And mm-hmm. so something that's really useful for people on it that still like pushes on visibility, pushes against mm-hmm. erasure. And, and it's so 
there are things that we can do. I just am struggling with, at this point, it's starting to, uh, what was your phrase? Make my asshole itch, right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm just like, it's, it's bugging me. It's mm-hmm. really starting to bug the shit out of me. I was on a call about two years ago. And it seemed like out of nowhere, everybody had their land acknowledgement read. I didn't have one. And I'm in my hometown. I'm in the city I grew up in. My father took me to various events, powwows and, and right. Like it was important to him that I have some exposure to this. And I still couldn't tell you where I was sick. Your boy did a quick ass Google search. And I found like I'm I'm watching the screen on the Zoom call on one side. Because I could split my screen on this computer. And on the other side, so I got Zoom on one side. And on the other side, I got my Google page open. And I'm looking. Because I don't want to get caught off guard. When it's my turn, I don't want to be that motherfucker like, I don't actually know. Right? Then. (laughs) You see it and you're like, how the fuck am I going to pronounce this word? Even worse. Even worse than that. I see it. And it's like, scholars believe that this nation may have (laughs) impacted parts of this nation. And so we're not exactly sure. Yeah, your borders don't fucking line up. It's not very clear. Flint, Michigan, there's not a sentence that says, when you're in Flint, you are on blank. You are on this territory. Yeah. That shit don't work. And I'm frustrated with the indigenous population. Not not with the scholarship around no, it, not no, with the no, framework. No. no, 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 no. I'm mad at the indigenous folks for not just taking some magic marker and drawing a line around Flint and telling me this is who it is. So then I got to be like, okay, do I just whack-a-mole this thing? trying to be full transparent here because i can't be the only motherfucker that's gone through this so somebody can hear this and relate i'm talking to y'all you know like i'm like do i just whack them all this thing so i'm and the clock's ticking like it's getting down to where it has to be me it's like me and like one other motherfucker on the call that ain't spoke up yet and i'm looking we looking at each other like no go ahead please 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 go ahead I got my thing <laughs> muted because I'm tap, 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 trying to figure this shit out, right? So I finally land on Potawatomi. That feels like a good catch-all, right? That feels like an umbrella for some other more specific folks that were organized in their own ways. Hmm. Still ain't teased that shit out yet. Still couldn't tell you how that works. But I finally found something that was like, as a safe catch-all, you can use the term Potawatomi. 
how the fuck do I say pot of water? That, that's the last step, right? And it's my turn now. So I feel outed, but they have no idea how outed I actually was. How much I had to do just to get to the point where I could mispronounce <laughs> to begin with, right? That's my, and so what I ended up doing after that call, soon after that call was taking the time to do some more reading, right? Because I didn't feel good. And I think that's what you were speaking to, right? Of why these are important. I know much more now out of social embarrassment, right? That was the drive. I'm supposed to be a SJW and I ain't on my shit because I didn't know this was something we was doing. Nobody told me we was doing this now. And nobody wants to be the social justice warrior who didn't get the memo. Right? Plus, There's... no one wants to be an SJW that's like, the fuck word did you just say? What like how what is this thing that everybody's saying? Like it's one thing to say you don't want to be the person that wasn't the didn't do their homework. It's another thing to not want to be the person who doesn't fucking know what the fuck is going on. And that, if we can use this to transition, because that takes me to to my next thing, right? Which is the scale of tolerance. (laughs) I could not in that moment tolerate the sort of transparency and vulnerability it would have taken to just say, hey, I don't know what we're doing. I don't know why we're doing it. Sounds good. I like what we're doing here, but I missed it. Like what can somebody, like I could not tolerate that level of of transparency. It was too much for me. Where does that come from? Where does that come from? Doing justice work often can feel like, to, to stick to my own culture for a second, doing this work often feels like a battle rap. It feels like battle rap. It feels like a freestyle session where you have to show and prove. It feels like you are constantly having to reassert your right to do the work in the first place. Nobody told me that that's what this is. And I couldn't tell you where that feeling exactly. I don't think it comes from any one source. But I live in that. I live in that. And I hate that about this work. Because to me, it defeats the purpose of the work in the first place. 100%. Why are we doing this work if we are standing at the ready to light each other up? And I say that as someone who has done that to many, many people. Mm -hmm. I, I say that like as the full culprit years ago. Because that's what we were, I was trained to do. That's what you do. And it's not just call, like as easy as calling out versus calling in. How great would it be if it was like that simple? It's not. It's ego. 
it's uh, um, how we're positioned to fight for this tiny piece of pie. It's how um, we're rewarded when we are when we are more woke than others, if you will. It's how it's it's, a, it's how we're it's punished a, when we're not when we're not. Yeah, and not just punished. Like I'm, or sorry, was sorry. It's how we're punished. It's the level of, and it's not cancel culture. I feel like cancel me was easier than the way we're punished. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it goes to, if you believe this is the core of who you are and what you do, and that's where they go at, like they, when they go at you there, there's no recovery from that. It's character assassination. Yes. On the thing that you believe you've dedicated your life around dedicating my life to a particular way of being and showing up and and being in the work doesn't save me from just all kinds of ignorance it never will because i'll never know everything And the question for me becomes, how do we make it safe for people to just acknowledge that shit? When I think about Ayan, our guest who we had the previous episode, I look at them and think about their brilliance in their youth. Mm -hmm. And I try to get to a place where it's, there are 10,000 more things they know than I know, and I'm supposed to be in there doing this work. And what does that balance look like to know that with a person like Ayan, they're never going to light me up and indict me in a space where we're working together. Mm -hmm. How do we continue to nurture and grow that sentiment of love around all of us in these movement spaces of all ages? Because Mm -hmm. our generation, and granted, I'm a little bit older than you, but our generation is still deeply damaged by the um, violence of this scale of tolerance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just to make sure I'm clear as I can be, you know, for for the sake of our listeners, when we talk about the scale of tolerance, we're talking about the idea that for each one of us, there is a scale which determines to what degree we're able and willing to be um, forgiving and welcoming and uh, compassionate and generous, um, as well as to what degree we're willing to be playful and irreverent. Yes. Right? Because that's a part of this conversation, too, is... Um, not just how graceful I can be when someone else gets something wrong or asks for clarification. That's a, that's part of it, right? How much within me is ready to jump on them for not knowing something that is usually personal. Let me name that, right? I have a very different response to someone who asks, you know, what's a land acknowledgement about? I might be like, oh, that's weird. They don't know by now, right? That that would be my response. But it wouldn't have the same fire in my ass 
if somebody was like, oh, I don't think slavery was that bad. Right. Right. Then I'm like, what the fuck did they just say? You know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> so like, right. Can I acknowledge first that part of what determines my scale of tolerance is how close are you coming to what I identify with? Right? That matters. And so often I think about it in terms of gender and, you know, one of the things I've heard people's, you know, a critique I've heard when you have guys saying, you know, we should be better to girls and women because, you know, some of these folks are my mom and my sister and my cousin and my daughter. And then somebody will come back and be like, well, why do they have to be personally related to you for you right. to give a shit about them? Right, right. And it's that same thing, right? It's scale of closeness. Here's what scares me on the scale of closeness. Mm-hmm. One, couldn't agree more with the like, why you got to imagine it's your sister to fucking mm-hmm. give a shit. That's a Care. whole other fucking conversation where you're like, really? Is your heart that? F-? Anyway, the scale of closeness to that topic. Mm-hmm. When you are an indigenous human being. There are, because of genocide, there are so fucking few of us mm-hmm. that proportionally we can't be in enough spaces to actually interrupt enough and share enough and say enough to change people's schemas around it. So I have to hope solidarity does that. Right. So was I as up in arms before I went to college and met a whole fucking bunch of Jewish people mm-hmm. when someone said something terrible about something Jewish? Like, you know, I grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and they're solidly in my tiny, tiny little community, solidly, you know, racist as fuck. And they would, you know, Jude me down and Jews this or whatever. And I didn't know or understand any of it. I suddenly go to Yale, which is like a third Jewish. And I met, I met all these, I learned this, like, what is this thing that I never knew about? What is that? Like culture, religion, a whole fucking thing. And then suddenly when people start saying shit, well, then I'm personally like closer Mm -hmm. to it. Right. Mm -hmm. Expand my friend circle to, you know, I meet a bunch of Boricuas. I meet a bunch of black people. I meet a bunch like all of a sudden it's like that. Then like, but because there are so few, like I was lucky on the Chicana front because I had a lot of Latinos and Latinas that I could, like they got it and could interrupt stuff. But there's so few indigenous people in the spaces that I'm in. Mm-hmm. There weren't enough of us. So that indignation mm-hmm. that I would feel at the, what the fuck are you talking about? You think blah, blah, blah. Christopher Columbus discovered America. Mm-hmm. I'm all alone in that space all the time and so solidarity and as we talk about all the time and relationship in my brain was the only antidote to that and so i think what i want to ask you did you notice increase because i think i know the answer right but i'm gonna ask 
did you experience an increased solidarity with folks who did not identify as indigenous because they had become close to you personally and they happened to be in the space with you when some shit was being said or whatever. If they were BIPOC, I don't, I don't. Are you talking about BIPOCs or white people? White or BIPOC. If somebody says something fucked up, did you find that you were more likely to see people who did not identify as indigenous still be indignant because of their relationship to you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you're one of them. Yeah. I care more about digging into my land acknowledgement homework now that I have a relationship with you. Same. Because you're the first person who identified as indigenous that I've had in my life. So even in that, and this goes, again, it goes back to that scale of closeness. No, you're not my sister. And no, we're not talking about sexual assault, but you are my friend and we are talking about indigeneity. Mm -hmm. And without that personal relationship, there is some solidarity on a surface level, right? You're not going to see me out here like, why are they complaining? Right, like- Right, 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 (laughs) right, right. You're not an asshole by nature. Exactly. I'm an asshole by ignorance. And there's a and, the, and there is, and that's the thing that scares me on the asshole by ignorance piece. And this is a thing where I was a, like a I'm in a hot mess thinking about Bio's concept around the carceral, the tricarceral effect. Like mm-hmm. I keep my gaze on the oppressor more than I should, in his opinion. Mm-hmm. I keep my gaze on that because we're like we're erased and it's so Mm -hmm. hard to like if you've lived your entire life and i'm the first indigenous person you've met that can actually shift your that's a like that's a travesty and that's not about you that's Mm -hmm. about like settler colonialism and genocide Mm -hmm. and that breaks my heart Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm It breaks my heart. I was talking to Zayze about this the other day. We were talking about how does visibility work? And as we, as I was, we were on this long walk all the way through Emory campus. We went into Lullwater and all these locations. And on some of the walks outside of these parks where we were saying to get back. So we left the, these inner city parks and then got onto the sidewalks and we're walking and these sidewalks have all this growth of like bushes and like people's mm-hmm. uh, landscaping all into the sidewalk. And at the time we were talking about what is solidarity or what does it look like when you're, when you're, when your heart and mind is changed by another way of being that's present. And I was talking about how I fucked something up huge when I was doing um, uh, uh, advocacy work you know, in early 2000s and leading marches and shit. And this group of students from University of Oregon's disability office were like, we're with you. We're going to like, we're we're marching with you. We're in solidarity for the shit that's happened, happening to you people at the College of Ed, to you, you know, people of color at the College of Ed. And I designed this whole march 
with no fucking thought about sidewalks and steps and accessibility. Mm-hmm. That changed me. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. even as like 20 years later, more than 20 years later, I'm walking on the sidewalk with my son watching all this stuff. And I'm like, son, do you see this? Like, are you aware that this is absolutely problematic for someone mm-hmm. with a wheelchair, someone with all this stuff? And I said, that is an example of what it means to have your your brain or your body, or your heart shift when you're exposed mm-hmm. to something that is inviting you to think beyond your realm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When there are so fucking few of us and when we're literally erased from the fucking history books. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, it's like uh, I'm up against an impossible task. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I am scared to say out loud Let's give some loving critique to land acknowledgement. Because fuck, at least now someone is saying Potawatomi out loud. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a level of nuance you're speaking to. And I think you're right to want more nuance. I think... Baby steps matter the journey is long and we are in a constant state of having to course correct you know I was I was 20 years outside of African American studies before it truly sank in just how homophobic and patriarchal that program was. It wasn't blatantly so. Nobody was bashing any particular gender or sexuality or sexual identity. It was the absence, it was the erasure of women. The fact that I had to take special classes to learn about the role of African-American women in my history, 50% of my fucking population, but I gotta take a special class to hear about it. It's the fact that you could teach me about Baldwin and Hughes, but not mention their sexuality, even though it was important in informing how they saw the world. Erasure is scary. And to want a more nuanced recognition, a more nuanced conversation, and not have that interpreted as, oh, you simply want the whole practice taken off the board, that's hard to get at. Baby and bathwater. Yes, it is. And it's also hard when we're talking about the fact that we struggle with people lighting us up the fucking second we make a mistake. I never, I never talk shit about another Chicano or Chicana or indigenous person in front of another fucking white person. And it was a dear friend of mine, April, who taught me that. Like we were talking, like we were about to, you know, be human and talk shit about this woman in our community who we know and then some other person walked up and they're like I'm like what are you talking about and I was about to say something I'm like ah I was talking about how and she like nudged me and then I was like I I didn't understand what it was later and she goes can't do it they don't get it all they're gonna see is us like being shitty to another one of ours like we can do it but we can't do it in front of them 
And so all, like the last thing I want is for the person who birthed land acknowledgements to be like, fucking thanks, Shandine. Like, way to fucking go. (laughs) You win. We ain't doing it no more. Done. Out. Fine. Yeah, because somebody is going to hear that instead of hearing what you're actually saying. And it's always the one with the money and the influence who actually get that shit done. And then you're like, what the fuck? That is not what I'm saying. Right? Um, no, it's, it's... Having the spaces to bring up the conversation is not the same as having access to the resources and the people that can spread the conversation. Right? That's two yeah. very different things. You could talk to your brother. You know? Or you can be on your own podcast where you have <laughs> enough space. You can take up enough space to really explain your shit. But even there, somebody beat and took a clip, you know, and said, see, she don't want it. See, she said, da, 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 yep. da. Yep. He don't want African-American do. studies. He said African-American studies is homophobic and, and uh, patriarchal. And he want to get rid of the whole fucking department. He's a social justice warrior and didn't understand the land he was on. Fuck him. This is fodder for the HuffPost and Fox News. Now, how fucked up is that? Yes. Yes. And that's what actually breaks my heart. Because that we are fodder for both is violence. Yeah. Yeah. And we have no space to make that visible. What I want to see is a more for season three is a more laser like focus on this very issue, because I think at the heart of this show, this is what it was in my mind supposed to be about. Let's start bringing up more and more examples of these so that we know how to lean into them and share. And like you were saying earlier, um, saying this out loud for those of you who may have felt that way when someone mm-hmm. did this. Mm-hmm. I was like the pronouns, when pronouns started coming up, like, and I got, someone called me out hard when I said, enter with your name, your preferred pronouns and where you're calling in from. And it was like, you know, Shandine, that it's not preferred. Preferred implies that it's a choice, that it's a, I'm all, whoa, 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 right? And instead, of, I was like, I really appreciate you telling me, like, while the whole time I'm about to jump out of my fucking skin from the pressure of making a mistake, right, of fucking it all up. Like, could that have been done differently? Yes. Could I have responded differently? Yes. Could I, has that ever been fucking modeled for me? No. Yep. What if part yeah. of the pod can be about next, like the next season can be about saying, let's actually talk about other ways we can actually do that better. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and I think part of what makes it so hard is when I'm personally invested and what didn't go right, when it's more personal to me, Mm -hmm. what is my responsibility in that? Like if I see you, no, 
if I don't see you because I don't know your background, I don't know your heart, I don't know much about you, I just know you're the one holding this call. And <laughs> I'm going to use an extreme example. <laughs> if you like, hey, you know, hey, everybody, I'm Sean Dean. This is my nigga Delma. <laughs> right? <And I'm> like, <laughs> I'm just like, what did she just say? You know, what? And I just met you. I'm not your nigga, Delmer. I just met you. But you trying to show solidarity and you've learned. Somebody told you that's how it's done. Now I'm pissed. Uh, What's the right quote unquote thing to do? And I'm thinking all the way back to some of our earliest guests where we talked about anger. And what does it mean to be angry? And when is it okay? And how do I show it? And name it. Right. do I come directly for you in that moment, right? Do I, right? Or... Just throttle right out of the gate. Like, just, <laughs> just... Like, so I think it's because ideally, I would love to be able to say, Sandine, that's really <laughs> I just want to invite you to think about how you addressing me and what it might mean, not just for me. And it might be hurtful to other people who saw you do that on this call. Probably. Probably. Or or people for whom it wasn't hurtful. They might think that's okay. (laughs) You might be granting a premise that could get somebody's ass whooped. Yes. And I just want to invite you. Right. Into a space where we might consider that collectively. That's like always the nice response. That's always the ideal response. It's less likely I'm going to be capable of doing that in that moment. And so what do I do with that? And do I let you move on? Because I'm stewing and trying to figure it out. And by the time I bring it back up, (laughs) it's weird for that reason. Like there's so much complexity in this. I think season three is about pulling apart the complexities that come with our anger, our desire to stay in right relationship and be in community with one another. Um, whoever called you out on the pronoun piece, maybe they had just right. had hit their limit that day. Right. right. And you caught it. Right. And I didn't and 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 the beauty of it was like in terms of the learning, and this is where it's difficult. That learning stuck with me for fucking ever. Like, I didn't fucking know, right? <laughs> right, right, so I went right. And looked that shit up. I was like, "Why is preferred wrong?" Oh fuck, that's why yeah. it's wrong, right? Like, yeah. what should it be instead? Oh goddamn! Like yeah. they had right to be shitty yeah. and angry with me, yeah. and I'm not convinced that's the best way to <laughs> show up with compassion and grace and love. And you named reading a series of um, graphic novels mm-hmm. not too long ago that got into the history and around comfort with me. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine being almost done with your reading and being in a space where somebody says some hot shit about sexual assault, how you would have responded then Seriously. versus, right? Oh, We so just I can even... don't know. Nope. Yeah, I can see it on your face. Yeah, right? like, uh, yeah. <laughs> It takes just mentioning it for all of a sudden to be like, ah, that person would be yeah. lucky they'd be a fucking alive right now. Exactly. 
we keep showing up with each other, not having any context of what the other person is bringing with them. Mm-hmm. And so when those, what's that phrase? When an immovable object meets an unstoppable force, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's, <laughs> like, it's bound to be some explosions. And so the question is, um, whether it's on Twitter, whether it's in public, whether it's, you know, whatever, Zoom, um, how do we lessen the number of explosions? How do we hold them when they do happen? Because I do think they're inevitable. Yeah, it's a lot to it's a lot to ask and, and to navigate. How do we model vulnerability when we're in the center of it? Oof. And how do you model vulnerability like my like without crying or with crying and then you just keep going? I mean, I just cry. You know me. I cry almost every fucking episode. How do you do that in the middle of like deep facilitation when you're out doing it? How do you do that modern vulnerability and not then beat yourself up? I mean, I just did that. I just did a convening you and I together with this amazing Racial Justice Institute in Oregon. And I fucked Mm -hmm. up my intro. And I still beat myself up over it. It was a script and I fucked up my my intro. And what did you say to me? Why are you saying to yourself what you would never say to another person? Yeah, exactly. And I think that... That question, I think, is connected to how we show up at our worst. What I mean is I would never say that to another person until you catch me in the wrong moment. And then that's the only thing I have to say to you. Mm. Yeah. I also, I love being at my worst around people who love me the most. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't happen often. And I don't mean it from the the standpoint of like, you know how like the person you love the most, you know you can hurt them the most because you know the 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 thing that can that gets to their core. I don't mean it like that. I mean mm-hmm. it like in the context of I've got three brothers who I worship and they worship me. Like we are we are bonded for life. Mm-hmm. And when am I my worst? They just they just hold my heart. Mm-hmm. And it helps me process through being at my worst and being frustrated and and they follow up and they make sure that I'm still okay when I'm at my worst. And they don't think for a second that that is the brush that they're going to paint across my, like who I am as a human. And that is a gift, the likes of which I have a hard time explaining. That brings up for me one of my favorite quotes, Khalil Gibran. What does he say? Um, people talk about... <clears throat> How you're only a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. You have been told that even like a chain, you are as weak as your weakest link. This is but half the truth. You are also as strong as your strongest link. To measure you by your smallest deed is to reckon the power of the ocean by the fragility of its foam. Yeah. Yep. And I think having people in our lives and in our communities that can hold that. You can't ask for better people. 
you know. No, that's pure medicine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Any closing thoughts? Season two is in the books. No shit. We did it. It's interesting because we don't practice what we're going to talk about. We just talk. Mm -hmm. And in that talk, we're like, oh, that's the thing that we should unpack more. Mm -hmm. I don't have time in my day. I work, you know what my days are like. I I think I logged, I started, my first meeting was 5 a.m. this morning and it's almost six o'clock right now. Mm -hmm. I don't get the chance to talk or process any of the shit in my life really in general. Mm -hmm. And so every two weeks to get to say, I don't know what was alive for me right now. Let me fucking reflect, think about Mm -hmm. it with another human. I mean, I pray, I pray a ridiculous amount. I, I think when I'm running a ridiculous amount of things, but I don't actually like breathe Mm -hmm. it into the world with another human who can reflect back. Mm -hmm. And it's both really, really hard and really, really freeing. Mm. And I did not know that's what was expected of us on the pod. And I don't think we could do the first part of every episode if we didn't actually do that first. Sure. And not just from a finding a topic to talk about, but like to be able to have the, that sounds egotistical, to be able to, I was like, to be able to have the, yeah, that's it. To be able to sink into it. You got to run way up to it. You can't just turn mm-hmm. on and just go at it. And I didn't mm-hmm. know that. Mm-hmm. Maybe that was mm-hmm. my naivete. Mm. I dig. Yeah, I appreciate that. What uh, about you? What about you? This was your dream. This pod was your dream for a long time. And we're 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 wrapping up season two. We're wrapping up season two. That feels good, to be honest with you. Um, I have a similar challenge with listening to myself. You know, I think I sound so phenomenal that I don't understand why we don't just focus on you the the whole time. Yeah. And why we're not at the top of the charts. Why everybody in the world isn't like everybody uh, needs me some Adelma. Drooling fan. Yeah. Of the show. I don't yeah. understand. When why I are there not memes show, made out of you? Why everyone's not wearing a hoodie that has I get, DJ3? I get why the tats aren't already on people's bodies? The sleeves, just whole sleeves with the my DJ3, face. DJ3, 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 <laughs> all the way down to the fingertips. You know what I'm saying? I do. You feel me. You feel me because you listen to this show, so you have that feeling every other week. You understand what I'm saying. Yeah, it's that combined with throwing up in my mouth and swallowing it back down. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I'm I'm with you. I have uh The I, vomit regurge. Yeah. Are you done? No. I'm just really getting started though. Hives. Chills. Not just itchy asshole. <laughs> itchy everywhere. <laughs> itchy everywhere. <laughs> Our listeners no, can see I, the demonstration of that. <laughs> yeah, it was weird, kind of. It's kind of weird. Um, no, I, um, I, I lucked up, kind of intuitive, lucked up. Not sure which, but I appreciate my co-host. 
and um i think getting to know some of the folks i've met through you and hearing and seeing you reflected in them and vice versa has really opened me up to a whole community of folks i know i would not have been in contact with otherwise and even folks i've brought on that i knew being able to see them interact with you and to see the things you can bring out of them that I never would have thought to ask or reflect back has been a beautiful thing. And so I want to, you know, all jokes aside, just for this one fucking moment, I want to say thank you um, just for being who you are, you know, and showing up in the ways that you do. It's been really dope to work with you these last couple seasons. Um, so I want to say that first. Um I am realizing that it takes so much work to drill down to what it is you really want to get at. You know, you and I have talked and talked and talked and we brought in our support team and they've helped us hold this space to figure out what it is we're trying to get at. And I feel like with each closing season, I feel like I'm getting a little closer. We're getting a little closer to the it. Shout out to the folks who have stuck with us through all of this shit from season one all the way up to now. Shout out to the newcomers who are just discovering us. And um, obviously to our Patreon supporters. To our people. Soraya, like, looks at the transcript of every single episode and pulls out the quotes so that we can act, so that Jenny can magically turn them into the beautiful social media stuff so that we can actually promote it. I mean, that's a lot of work. Yeah, it is. That's reading through a lot of bullshit. Yes. (laughs) Man, shout out Soraya, shout out Jenny Cotting, uh, you know, Doug Ferenstein. And yeah, I mean, Jenny McGinn and Susanna and, yeah, we are looking forward to launching season three. We'll take the su- spring off. We'll take most of the summer off and probably look forward to getting back at you and back to our audience. Probably September, I would guess. What you think? September feel about right? It feels good. Keep your fingers crossed. September feels good. Yeah. It's like the start of a new school year. You would, <laughs> Exactly. You will definitely hear from us between now and then with updates about specific start date. Um, and some cool good. promo materials that we're going to come out with that I'm super excited about. I already have got some, some DIJ cool. t-shirts that I rock that I look good in. You Emily can look good in them too. Water. We also have these amazing postcards. We're going to start, you know, people are start asking for our merch. And so we want to be able to provide. But more than that, Use this you want time to, make to be. Money. <laughs> Shut it! No, no, more, no. more than no. that. What? We want to hear from you all in terms of people who you think should be on the pod, who you want us to talk to. I'm excited to meet some new folks. I'm excited to hear some some good ideas, and um, maybe season three we actually start bringing back some of the people we asked to come back. Oh hell yeah, that that's there's gonna a, happen. Every other, every other episode is gonna be another person who agreed to come oh, back. I love it. I love it. Let's do that too. Um, Let's just name who yeah. we're gonna start with first, right away, no matter what. Let's start with Lieutenant Colonel Massey. You want to bring Adrian back? 
I do. I want, him to open, I want him to open with a poem and check in with us about where he is now. I hope you got your poetry up to date, my bro. I really do. It's going to be embarrassing if we bring you on here and you ain't got a poem. I'm just say that right now. So if you missed this episode. Don't listen to him. You can, you can your read. Fault. You can't read no old shit. Yes, you can. No, you can't. It's got to be all I'm new. I'm texting him right now. Tastefully done. It's got to be tastefully done and all new. Dear Adrian, okay. Delma is a dick. Okay. Send. Until season three. September. In September. 2022. Take care. Would you? What other year? <laughs> 20, 2020. We'll see y'all two years ago. Oh, my Woo! God. Okay. I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to hit mute. Ready? Oh, now I got to find the down button here. Would you stop doing that, please? Until season three, we're sending you love. We're mm-hmm. sending you laughter. We're sending mm-hmm. you deep gratitude. And just be your best petty self all summer long. We love y'all so much. And can't wait to be back in community and in conversation with y'all at the start of season three. Peace out. Peace oh, out. God damn it. You had to do that, didn't you? Peace out. I'm keeping that, just so we clear. That is going in. Dive In Justice is a co-production of the Center for Whole Communities and Shoreline Consulting. The Center for Whole Communities exists to build capacity at the individual, organizational, and community level to deepen awareness, embrace differences, and value relationships, thus making change possible. Shoreline Consulting co-constructs solutions and strategies that align with your goals and leverages the voices, perspectives, and wisdom of those who stand to benefit. For more information on the Center for Whole Communities, find us at wholecommunities.org. For more information on Shoreline Consulting, visit us on the web at thinkshorelines.com. Dive in Justice theme song created by Nasir Thomas Jackson. Doug Fierenstein is our audio engineer. Susanna McCandless is our administrative support. Jen Cotting and Soraya Yamada Sapien help us out with marketing and promotions. Thank you all so much. Without your continued efforts, this show would not be possible.